Anchorage, um, where we've been the last few weeks with our family following a, a, a family tragedy. As many of you have heard, um, we, we took time to be up in Anchorage for a few weeks with family. And, um, but one of the things we got to do while we were there, by the way, thank you for your prayer and your support for our family. Your love uh, has made such a huge difference in your prayer for us. Um, you know, you know when, when there's times, you ever done this, you say to someone, oh, I'll pray for you. And in your mind, you're like, hey, I hope I don't f- forget to pray for them. And, and, or, or someone's ever said to you, oh, I'll pray for you. And you're thinking in the back of your head, yeah, you probably won't. And, and, you, and you, you hate to feel that way, but, but sometimes you just... But there's times where you can feel the prayers of people. Like you can tangibly feel that people are praying. And that's how we have felt these past few weeks. And so I thank you for, for going beyond just saying, oh, we'll pray for you. And really doing it because it has made a world of difference in our family uh, and for our friends and, and for the community up in Anchorage. Well, last Sunday, one of the things we got to do was visit uh, a friend's church, a couple that we know pastor a church in Anchorage, and we got to go and sit and enjoy that service. It's nice as a pastor sometimes to, to just be in church. And, uh, but here's what was happening. Um, I, I promise I was paying attention I was posting some quotes from uh, my friend Chris who was preaching on, on Facebook, and as I was, I was seeing things pop up on Facebook from here. And some of the quotes I was reading, I was going, Megan, <laughs> check this out. And so uh, thank you to Christy and for faithfully bringing uh, the Word of God last week, and we look forward to more, right? Yeah. You're like, great, thanks. <laughs> Um, we started this series, The Church Jesus Loves. Understanding this is that Jesus never run, runs out of love. There's never a point where Jesus goes, I don't love you anymore. Right? We, we understand that Jesus' love is unlimited. It's boundless. And that he loves people. He loves his church. He loves his congregation and the body of Christ But there's something about when we act and behave and live like the church of Jesus Christ, and when we we represent him well, that that he loves it even more. I I use this analogy. I love my children. I love grace. But I especially love it when grace behaves in a way that pleases me as her father. And, And if you've ever raised children or you're raising children... You understand this, that you love your kids, but you're not always pleased with your kids, right? It applies with our spouses as well. I love my spouse, but there's times where I don't please my spouse. See, I did that. I turned it around. Yeah. Um, Because I'm smart like that. Um, And we know that's true. Jesus loves his church, but can I suggest this morning that he's not always pleased with his church? That there's things that we do as the church that, that really break the heart of God. And we read in that first Sunday in the book of Revelation where, where John is writing these letters by, as the Holy Spirit is, is bringing revelation to him. And he says, you know, to the church in Ephesus, listen, you guys, you're doing all of the right things. You're, 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 you're confronting false teaching. You're, you're not tolerating people that, that bring disunity, blah, blah, and all of these things go on. And then he says, but you've lost your love. 
and that breaks the heart of God. And so we've talked about how the church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus. We talked about how the church Jesus loves extends the grace of Jesus. Last week, Christy shared that the church Jesus loves has the fear of the Lord. I had shared the week before that that the church Jesus loves brings the hope of Jesus. That there are these things, these marks of who we are as the body of Christ that should make us distinct in the world around us. And when we represent Jesus well, when we portray, portray him well, it pleases his heart. And not that he could love us anymore, but he loves us all the more. You know what I mean there? Sounds like an oxymoron, but there's just something that, ah, oh, he just gushes over his church when we live the way we're supposed to live and represent him well. There's this idea in modern thought that, and I, and I hear it all the time, literally every week I'm hearing it more and more, that people don't mind Jesus, it's just the church they have a problem with. People would say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I like the ideas that Jesus taught, but I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion or being a part of the church. And in so many of those cases, those, those viewpoints are justified. Because throughout church history, we see that the church has not always behaved well. The church not being an organization, but being God's people. That we've always, not always represented him well. And in church, that should bother us. It should bother us to our core. It should irritate us. It should be like that pebble in our shoe that just doesn't go away. It should bother us that, that, there's a, that, that at any point, any of our behavior could be misconstrued or misinterpreted as not being loving and gracious and kind and representing Jesus well. And the reality is it starts with us. See, it, it should bother us so much that we take the pebble out of our shoe. And it should start in our own homes, in our own lives, in our own fellowship here at Thrive Church. So today I want to talk about the church Jesus loves fights for unity. The church Jesus loves fights for unity. There are things in life that shouldn't work but just do. There's things in life that shouldn't work but they just do. And I'm going to use a food analogy and we're going to get a little interactive this morning and I'm going to ask you for some of your favorites. Uh, salty and sweet. Shouldn't work, but it does, right? If you've ever had a maple bar with a slice of or piece of bacon laid across the top of it, that shouldn't work, but it just does, right? Because bacon goes with anything. I've heard, I've not tried this, but I've heard that peanut butter on a hamburger is really good. Yeah, it's good. Was that hamburger on a donut? Because <laughs> I've heard you've done it too. Jacques, you win. Um, has anyone ever dipped your french fries in a chocolate shake? Right? It just, it just, right? Frosty, right? Uh, brie cheese with the jam over the top of it? Oh, that's so good. It shouldn't work. It just does. Okay, so I want to hear from you. What are your, some of your favorite food combinations that shouldn't work, but they do? Anyone have anything that, yeah? Oranges and chocolate. Oranges and chocolate, yeah. You, like, you ever get like that orange like sliced chocolate ball thing that you pull apart, and you're like, hey, thanks a lot, and then you eat it, and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. Orange and chocolate, that's good. 
Mango and sticky rice. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Yeah, you just lost me. You just lost me. <laughs> no, that's a good one, David. Now, what's interesting is that some flavors work for some people enough for others. Because when I have that kind of breakfast, no touchy. Like, the pancakes have to be on a separate plate. I can do the bacon, but the egg just, uh. All right, go for it. Oh, oh, mac and cheese with ketchup. Andrew. Indian bread with sour cream and honey. Indian bread with sour cream and honey. Oh, yeah, we got two. We got, okay, three more. All right. Apple with peanut butter. And it really is. It's one of those you shouldn't, but every child, I think we've just been brainwashed into loving that one from when we were kids, right? Stacy. That, 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 sounds, that sounds more like a medical condition. <laughs> Cherie. Oh, I've had the grape jelly, not the green salsa. All right, so we're having a potluck next Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, that we finally had two ladies jump in because I was like, a lot of the guys are eating the weird stuff here. <laughs> Things that shouldn't work, but they just do. Everything we just mentioned is uncommon, right? You're not going to go to a restaurant a regular, normal restaurant and really order any of those things. If anything, you're taking things from different meals and combining them and the server's looking at you like you've lost your mind. They're uncommon, but for some reason they work. And can I tell you, this is a great picture of the church. It's a great picture of the church. The church is uncommon fellowship. It's uncommon Fellowship From the very start of the church in the New Testament, when we start reading about these people that start coming together, it was uncommon. It was so uncommon that, that, that people of these different nationalities and, and men and women and, and, and cultures and backgrounds would start fellowshipping with one another. So much so that the world around looked at them, the people around and said, what is up with you? See, because the world was so segregated in that time. You stuck with what you knew and who you knew. Hasn't changed a lot, has it? But the church became this place where everyone was the same and everyone was welcomed and everyone was embraced because the power of Jesus Christ was at work in that place. And because that was the mark of the church from the, from the get-go, can I tell you that the goal of the enemy was to break that up? to make it awkward, to make it weird, to take what God had knit together in absolute beauty and harmony and say, I'm going to disrupt this and try and mess it up. See, Jesus models this for us all throughout the Gospels. He associated with people that weren't like him. In fact, he went out of his way to associate with people that weren't like him. See, it's easy to be with people who are like us, that make us happy, that please us, that, that don't rub us the wrong way, right? 
It's easy to just be a part of a church, and so much of what we look for in a church is a place where I can just kind of blend in, and no one's going to ruffle my feathers. Can I just tell you, that church doesn't exist. And if it does, you'll show up there and mess it up. (laughs) Because we're broken people. And one of the beautiful things about the church is this mosaic of broken, uncommon, weird Quirky people coming together and being knit together in unity. See, Jesus associated with people who are not like him, and the reality is nobody was like him. Everyone was different to Jesus because he was just holy other. He reached out to people. He went into their homes. He hung out with them. He had conversations. He asked them for a drink of water. He associated with with them even when other people were like, (gasps) talking to that person does he know yes he knows and still he chooses see there should be an aspect of us of the church of the body of christ that causes people's jaws to just drop that leaves them scratching their heads going what is it about you people you're so different from each other yet you get along so well You're so different and you're so diverse, yet you act like you're a family. That should be the church. A diverse, different, uncommon group of people living in unity. Jesus prayed for this. He asked God to do this in our midst. John chapter 17, verse 20 through 26. He he prays this prayer in the midst of, he's praying a long prayer. He's praying for the disciples. He had just told the disciples he's going to the cross. He had given the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's John chapter 17 and 16, and John, the book of John is just full <laughs> of just this richness. But in the midst of this, he prays this prayer. After praying for the disciples, he says this, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those who you have given me to be with me where I am. That's in heaven. And to see my glory, the glory which you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. You can hear in his words that this was not just a passing prayer. That this stirred so deep in the heart of Jesus. That he understood that from the creation of the world, that God's goal was that we would live in uncommon fellowship with God the Father. See, the uncommon fellowship really started in the Garden of Eden when God created man and woman and said, I want to have relationship with you. I want to be close to you and I want you to be close to me. That's not normal. The fact that the God of the universe would extend himself to us. So it started with uncommon fellowship, with a unity that existed there. Jesus' heart here is that we, 
those who would come after the disciples, those who would believe after they had gone through all of the known world and preached the gospel, and it would get passed down and passed down and passed down to the point that we get to sit in this room today and hear about the love of God and Jesus' prayer for us that we would be one. The sad reality is, though, that in churches throughout history and, and churches even today, that this prayer is largely ignored. See, I believe that the biggest thing that stands in the way of unity is pride. It's pride. When we start thinking that we're better, we know better, we figured it out, we have the secret sauce, right? Paul addresses that in the letter to the Colossians, it's nothing new. They thought they had some kind of special revelation, and Paul has to write to them and say, you don't have a special revelation. Jesus was the revelation. The glory that Jesus talks about is salvation, that we get to partner and, and enter into a relationship with God the Father. That's the glory. You don't have additional revelation over that. There's no additional gospel. That's it. And that Jesus would say, you would be one, that you would be knit together and that you would walk in humility with one another in such a way that you could embrace each other, warts and all, flaws and all, failures and all. See, because there are no perfect people in the church of Jesus Christ. There are people who are committed to growing in Christ and being transformed into the image of Jesus. So I want to talk about three points of unity that we have to fight for. We have to contend for in the church because we face opposition. It's like, like swimming against the current. If you stop swimming, you're going to just be swept away. There is a force against the church that wants to prevent us from living in unity, and we have to fight for it daily. So the first is this, the unity of the Spirit. We have to contend for the unity of the Spirit See, because there's only one church. There's only one church. There's only ever been one church. And we might say, well, okay, so why are we here in other churches? There's another church down the street. Hope Lutheran's just right over there. Why is that church? Why is Journey of Faith? Why do we have different denominations? And why does it seem like we're so fractured? See, from the moment Jesus ascended into heaven, he left and left the disciples there. They start spreading the gospel. There was only one church. And what's happened over, over the, the spread, over the millennia, is that the gospel has spread around the world, is, is that those who carried the gospel realized that in different cultures, it was necessary to communicate the gospel in a way that was relevant to that culture. And what was birthed out of that were individual fellowships and denominations that would then minister in a way that connected with a group of people, with a community of people. Now, do I believe that denominations and separate churches are in line with the heart of God? Not really, but I don't think it's against His heart either. I mean, ultimately, if we could just say, hey, we're all the Christian church, that, that would be ideal. But we do have different cultures, and we do have different expressions. The biggest thing is this. Who is Jesus? And who do we say Jesus is? And how do we profess that a person is saved? And, 
And how does that person come into fellowship with God the Father? Those are the essential things. In Foursquare, our denomination, one of the things that we, we put forth is that in essentials, we would have unity. In non-essentials, we would have liberty. So there are parts of, of our expression as a church that, that we would say, is it biblical or unbiblical? No, it's, it's just your expression. It's, it's the way you like to eat your mac and cheese with ketchup on it. It's just <laughs> your thing, right? It's just your, your thing. And, and we're going to give liberty there because it's not anti-biblical. It's just the way you like it, and that's fine. And then it's the last part is in all things, charity or grace. In all things that we would express grace to each other, which means that we've got to remove the pride. There's one church, many fellowships, many expressions of God's love around the world. But we have to get back to a place where we think about the church of Jesus Christ as being one church. Where we honor each other as one church. It's one of the reasons that we take time every Sunday to pray for another church in our community. Doesn't matter what denomination, right? Doesn't matter the flavor of ice cream. It's still ice cream. And we want to be a blessing in that way. We have to fight for it. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesians, in Ephesus rather, in the book of Ephesians. Verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. The theme one, one God, one Father, one Spirit, one baptism. And if there's one, there can't be another one. There's just one. So why do we have to fight for the unity of the Spirit, because we have to remember where we derive our identity from. That the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it says that God is he's not flesh, He is spirit, and that Jesus came in the form of a man. But up to that point, God is spirit, and we're not like Him, and He's not like us. That we have to remember that, that that unity we have is reflected in the Godhead. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit live in absolute unity with each other. And now remember this, they're different. Each part of the Godhead is different. Their function, their role is different. But they live in absolute unity. And so often it's the differences in our lives that separate us. But it's the differences that actually make us unique and beautiful, and it's those things that we should embrace. See, because you have locked up in who you are and who God has made you to be, a uniqueness that complements the uniqueness that is me, right? Like grape jelly and meatballs. We're different, but man, when we come together in the unity of the Spirit, something beautiful emerges, and the world goes, whoa, that was good. What was that? It's uncommon, but I like it. I like it. It flows 
from God. He says that we have to make every effort. We must fight for unity. See, the enemy is our only enemy. We only have one enemy. Can I tell you this morning? You only have one enemy. And whoever you think your enemy is, they're not the enemy. I've said it before. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy. The enemy is someone named Satan. He's the enemy of our souls and he is seeking to destroy, to steal, kill, and destroy the good things that God is doing. He is seeking to divide the church. Why? Because Jesus' prayer was that we would be one. See, he wants to limit our dependence and our connection to God. He wants to limit our dependence and our connection to God. He wants to disrupt our effectiveness as the church, and he wants to discredit our witness as the body of Christ. The enemy is the enemy. So we have to fight for the unity of the Spirit. Jesus tells us that we must remain in Him in John chapter 15, 1 through 4. He says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. This, this is the picture of the unity of the Spirit, that we are connected to the Godhead. He is the source of life. He is the source of, of, of unity. He is the source of connectedness and fruit. In our lives, and if we are removed from that source, if we are separated from the unity of the Spirit, we will cease to be effective, we'll be spinning our wheels. And that our, our relationships with each other will have no traction. We will not be able to move forward into places of healing and reconciliation apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's just not possible. It's why we have the United Nations. Think about it on a broad scale. We have the United Nations because we have to have a body of people trying to convince each other not to blow each other up. That's why the United Nations, we, we talk about world peace. Let's just, let's have world peace. It's not going to happen apart from the person of Jesus Christ. We're not going to achieve this, oh, this, you know, this picturesque view of, oh, we're all just like linking arms and singing songs together apart from Jesus Christ. And so the best we can do is manage our mutual destruction. The church is supposed to stand out in the midst of that and be something different, but we can't do it if we're separated from the power of the unity of the Spirit. And so we have to fight to stay connected to the Lord. Second is this, the unity of the body. So we have the unity of the spirit. We have to fight for the unity of the spirit. We have to fight for the unity of the body. And this is where it gets practical for us. Sitting here in this room on a Sunday morning, shoulder to shoulder with each other, sitting around each other in proximity with each other. See, you're a part of the body of Christ. Right now, you're here at Thrive Church, an expression of his body in Glendora, California. 
And we're connected with the Foursquare denomination. That's our, our larger church family. But we're also part of the family of God globally, which means that every other Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church in this community is a part of this church family. We're a part of that body. And you are a unique part of that body. See, the parts of my body are joined together, and I thank God for that. How many, time, how many of you have ever thanked God that the parts of your body are joined together? We don't think about it a lot, right? Internally and externally, there's the parts of my body. You can see my arms and my fingers. They're all joined together. But internally, there's stuff happening. In fact, it's happening at a cellular level. There's things happening in my DNA and every day, right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of times over. That cells are being replicated. My body is losing cells. Cells are dying and new ones are being made. And here's, let me ask you this. What happens when the parts of my body are at odds with each other? What, what happens? What do we call that? Sickness. I'm going to go visit a doctor. When my body stops cooperating with itself, when one part of my body starts fighting with another part of my body, it doesn't feel right. We're tracking, right? We know. I mean, when you eat something and you're like, oh, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. When you break a bone or you sprain something, or you have a sickness or an illness, and you go, it just doesn't feel right. My body doesn't feel right. I don't, I, I'm lacking the energy. I'm running a fever. I hurt. It doesn't feel right. And so we go and we seek help, say, fix my body, get my body back to where it's supposed to be. We pray for healing in this church. We believe that God will bring healing to the body. And I just declare over you, if you need a touch of healing, receive that healing from God because we, we serve a, a healing God who fashioned us and made us and knows better than any, anyone else on how to heal that. In fact, Tom and Mindy right here, just wave your hands. Um, if you want to hear a great testimony of healing in their son, talk to them after church. They'll, they'll share a great story because maybe your faith needs to be encouraged. It doesn't feel right when our body doesn't cooperate. One of the things that breaks the heart of God and should break our hearts is when we as the body of Christ do not cooperate and dance, don't stand united. Church, it shouldn't feel right. We fight for the unity of the body because when we don't, we're sick. The body of Jesus Christ, the church, becomes sick when we're at odds with each other. Why? Because there's only one enemy. There's only one enemy. It doesn't feel right and it shouldn't feel right. You ever talk to someone, you can tell that they're sick? Are you doing okay? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. And you're like, you are so not good. You see it. Ignoring it doesn't make it better. We have to deal with the issues, the underlying things, rather than just the symptoms. As the church of Jesus Christ, it starts with us saying, I'm going to fight for the unity of the body. See, unity is not optional. It's just not optional. We have to commit, listen to this, we have to commit to fight for each other, not with each other. We have to commit to fight for each other, not with each other. 
But when we look at church history, the latter is more true of who we are. How many wars have started in our world because the church has been odds with the church? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28, Paul writes this. He says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. By the way, that, that doesn't just mean that you've, you've put on a garment. Clothing yourself, is, it, it became your identity. If you were clothed with a, a, a robe, it was a part of your identity. You were now identified with whatever it was you were clothed with. We've been clothed with Christ, which means we identify with Jesus. There is neither, listen to this, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, Male or female, you are all one in Christ. And Paul just demolishes all of the separations, all of the things that would divide us. And he says those things don't exist anymore. What we see is the unity in Jesus Christ because he takes things that are completely different to each other and makes them one. So much so that the world looks and goes, that's uncommon, but it's kind of cool. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. We are one in Christ. And this is the key. We are one in Christ. We don't just in our own strength say, I'm going to fight to be united. We have to be one in Christ. If we choose disunity, we disassociate ourselves with Jesus. I wrote this line and I was like, ooh. Ouch. If we choose, if I choose in my life to live in disunity with a fellow believer, I choose to disassociate myself with Jesus. You might be going, well, does that mean I lose my salvation? No, that's another conversation. That's not what I'm saying, right? That's, that's another level of this. But when I just simply choose to live in disunity, and what I'm saying is if I'm at odds with Andrew, and there's an issue, something's come between us, and we know that something's come between us, and I just simply choose and say, you know what, I'm just going to, you know what, we're just going to ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen, or I might just need to go find another church to be at, so I have to look him in the face. Or if he's sitting on this side of the church, I'm sitting on that side of the church. If I choose to live in that place where I'm okay with disunity, I'm choosing to disassociate myself with Jesus because there is no disunity in Jesus Christ. And that sounds heavy because it is heavy. It's extremely heavy. I can't say I love Jesus and hate my brother. I can't even say I love Jesus and just tolerate my brother. It doesn't work. It doesn't add up. Then we just taste like the rest of the world. Then our flavor is not uncommon. That's common in the world. It's not common here. Paul also says in the book of Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Really? Bless those who persecute you. Yes. Bless and do not curse. Even if you're driving down the freeway and that guy cuts you off, bless and do not curse. That was for someone for today. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Let me pause there for a minute. The person who says, I am better than, immediately stops being better than. Oh, I don't associate with... No, you just, man, you just go into the back of the line. God opposes the proud, right? He opposes the proud. We don't have that right. Lost my place. Low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And listen to this church. This is where it just gets real. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I've never seen that like on a card or or, or like, you know, when people take a a piece of wood and paint it on a piece of wood, you don't see that like hanging in people's homes, right? But I would challenge you, get get a piece of like pallet wood and, and paint this verse and then hang it in your bedroom. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on who? You. Not the pastor. Not the other person. Well, you don't know, pastor, how wrong they were. As far as it depends on you. As far as it depends on you. Listen, there's no wiggle room. If you believe the Bible is true, and I hope you do, you don't get out of this one. You don't get to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Or, but you don't know what that person did. And you don't know what that person said. And you don't know how they treated me. I might not know, but God knows. And he said, as far as it depends on you. Now listen, he does say, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Which doesn't mean it's always going to end with a happy story sailing off into the sunset. That sometimes it is broken. But you don't get, you don't get to decide when that is. You do everything you can. You fight for reconciliation. You fight for the unity of the body. And when you stop, when you get to a point where you've stopped fighting and you've stopped realizing that it depends on you, you've now become a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. Can I just tell you, it's not the kind of sermon that grows churches, right? It's just not like seeker-friendly, as they say. But it is essential. See, when, when I meet with my trainer, he's like, hey, listen, I have this new plan for you. I want you to go to Donut Man once a day. And get one of those strawberry donuts because strawberries are good for you. He just doesn't. In fact, if he knew what I'd been eating the last few weeks, he would not be very happy. So I'm just avoiding him right now. Like, we're not going to talk until I have a chance to set things right a little bit. As far as it depends on you, God, when you come to the Lord, he's not going to say, well, tell me about what the other person did. He's going to say, How are you fighting for unity? What are you doing to make things right? 
Okay, you ready for me to meddle a little bit? I'm going to meddle a little bit. This doesn't start on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or in a discipleship class. This starts in your home. And I have grown up in church. I have lived my life in church. And one of the things that turns my stomach more than anything else is people who treat each other like dirt at home. Husbands and wives who are rude and cruel and unkind and unloving to each other behind closed doors and then show up on a Sunday morning. Oh, we just bless the Lord. Now listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't have problems. There shouldn't be challenges. Thing is, it's not, it's always, not always just going to go easy, right? From the moment you say, I do, the enemy is going to be all out coming after you. But the enemy is the enemy. Your spouse is not the enemy. Your kids are not the enemy. And when we start believing the lie and treating the person that we live with, the person that we should be the closest to in, in our, our human relationship here on earth, like they're the enemy and we choose to list, live in disunity, it unravels from that point on. That we can choose as much as it depends on us to be at peace with one another. Again, understanding that there are complicated stories and there are worlds of hurt that we walk through. I've seen it in my own family. I've experienced it in my own life. And those are wounds that are not, are not easily healed. But we have to stop and say, what, is, what am I doing to bring unity back into my home? To bring unity back into my marriage? To bring peace to a place where there's no peace. As much as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, as far as it is, is, is possible, live at peace. Be in unity. Seek to reconcile. When we can do that in our homes, when we can do that with the people that are closest to us, it will just flow out of us. It just flow out of us. Then when we come to church and we say, we're here as the church, it just becomes so much easier in this place. And we get to celebrate. Okay, I've meddled, but let me turn it around. One of the things that Megan and I are most passionate about, and I would say because we're the pastors of this church, I get to say one of the things that our church is passionate about is seeing family relationships restored, whether that's between a, a husband and a wife or parents and a children. We want to contend with you for God to bring absolute healing. And if you need help, if you need help in this place of your life and your marriage and your family, ask for it. Because we don't always know what's going on behind closed doors. And if we've gotten good at anything in our culture, we've gotten good about lying about how we're really doing. See that this place, the church of Jesus Christ, should be the place where I know I can come and go, pastor, and it doesn't have to be pastor, by the way, the people sitting next to you want to walk with you. I'll pick on Andrew again. You can come to Andrew and go, Andrew, things are broken in my life right now, and I need some help. Casey, the case of a woman coming and saying, Casey, I need help. I don't know what to do. Would you pray with me? 
Not seeking to dishonor, always seeking to honor, but sometimes we need help. And we want to be available as a church, not just as pastors of this church, but as a church body say, we want to stand with you and we want to fight for unity in your home, to fight for unity in your marriage. Jesus said it this way, a new command I give you, love one another. Why did he have to give a new command? Because the old one was broken. A new command, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Listen, unselfish agape love fuels unity. It makes it possible, but we have to fight for it. If you're not willing to love, you will not live in unity. And so we have to adopt a position that says, I want to love with the unselfish agape love of God. Love one another. And finally this morning, we need to fight for unity of our mission. Unity of the mission. See, we have a job to do. The church doesn't just exist for you. It doesn't. Jesus has called you into a relationship with him but immediately you step into that relationship, he says, I love you, I embrace you, I welcome you, I forgive you, you are a part of my family, now I've got work for you to do. Because there's someone else who doesn't know my love, someone else who needs what you have, what you've just received. As, he, as Jesus prayed, Father, you've given me this glory and I've given it to them. That same heart that we would say, God, there are people who don't know you, who don't know you who need to know you. You've got a job to do. We are a people on a mission. We are people who've been commissioned by God, by Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew 28, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news. Bringing people to that point of salvation, salvation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to do the things that I taught you to do, and then they're going to go and do the very same thing all over again. We are a people on mission, and we have to fight for the unity of that mission because there are times where the enemy will try and confuse us in what we really are all about. It's one of the greatest tacti tactics in war. See, information is the greatest weapon in war, not bombs. And so we have organizations like the CIA that seek to bring disinformation. We want to learn what the other side is doing, and then we want to disrupt their information and their communication in such a way that it makes their army ineffective. It makes their strategy ineffective. The enemy of our soul wants to make the church ineffective, and he does that by disrupting our mission, the thing that we're called to do. And he will, he will disrupt it this way and say, church is for you, and adopt a, a consumer mentality. We even say it this way, and this is how broken it is. We don't even realize it. We say it like it's normal. Oh, I'm church shopping. I'm church shopping right? You've never heard a U.S. Marine say, oh, I'm shopping for a new unit to be a part of. You sign a piece of paper that says you will go where we tell you to go and you will do what we tell you to do. Yes, sir. But we come to the church, we come to Jesus Christ, and then we adopt this posture like, oh, this is just for me. 
This is just to meet my needs. No, you have a job to do. You are a people on a mission, and we have to fight for the unity of the mission because when we adopt that posture that says, this is for me, we start spreading that to the people around us, and we end up with a church that is lethargic and tired and lazy. And you know what? The world around goes, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. It's lifeless. It's not energizing. I, I wonder, think about the Marine Corps or the Army or whatever branch of service, but there's just something about the Marines. And they have those commercials and, you know, there's the Marine with the, the sword and, the, and the, the uniform and you're just like, whoa. They're like, sign up, the, you know, the, the few, the proud, the, right? And it's compelling. You're like, yeah. Oh, wait, I'm too old. Um, um, <laughs> Knowing that, that you would go into battle, that you could possibly give your life, but there's something, I want to be a part of that. And they say that, you know, once you come out of it, you're always a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine, and you're a part of something that's bigger than you. Can I tell you that the church is supposed to overshadow the Marine Corps infinitely? That the church that Jesus commissioned is doing the most important work on the planet. And we get to be a part of it, but we have to choose to fight for the unity of the mission that we're called to. John 17, just one little part of that verse in, in verse 21 says this, that we would be united, why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. That the world may believe that you have sent me. When we fight for the unity of the spirit, when we fight for the unity of the body, fighting for the unity of the mission really is just kind of the fruit that is produced. It just happens. Because when we stand united as the church, the world around will look at us and go, I want to be a part of that. That's compelling. That's energizing. That's exciting. It's uncommon. Those are weird flavors, but man, they go together. And I want a part of that. I want to be involved. Unity in mission is critical to who we are as the church. So where do you go from here? As I wrap this up, you need to hear from the Lord. What was it this morning that touched on a tender place in your heart? Where was it that the Holy Spirit started speaking to you and say, ooh, this is something you may need to work on. And might be that first step going, you know what, I'm disconnected from the vine. I'm disconnected from the very source of life that will give me the strength to live in unity. Maybe it was the unity of the body. Maybe it was that part about in your own home. Maybe it's an offense you have against someone. And let me ask you, here's a good way to measure that. If you think you, there might be an offense... If you think there might be disunity, there probably is. Deal with it. Be the person as much as it depends on you. Reach out. And if you're wrong, praise God, you're wrong. But if you're right, all the better. Because unity is established in the body and we come together. Well, Pastor Barry, that, that person doesn't actually go to our church anymore. So, nope. Because how many churches are there? One. And so they're a part of the church. So do the hard work.
do the hard work of fighting for unity. Maybe it's unity of mission, and maybe you're, not, you're just wondering, where do I fit in this? Maybe you get a sense on Sunday mornings that God is doing something here. Can I tell you, church, God is doing something here. Can I address just what I'm seeing? Because as a pastor, uh, this weighs on me. We've seen our church grow and shrink and grow, and we've had people in the last two and a half years since Megan and I came to, to this church, to Glendora, that, that there was a whole group of people that were here when we first came that aren't here anymore. And people have moved out of state and they've gone different places, and some people have just gone to other churches. And can I tell you, in, in my less mature days as a believer, not that I'm super mature yet, but I'm in process, Man, those things weighed on me like, Lord, it's just agony. Where are those people? And why are people are and why aren't more people coming? And 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 you might feel that. You might come in on a Sunday and go, wow, there's a lot less people today than there were last week. God, what's going on? But can I tell you what we're sensing and as a pastor and as a leadership team, and maybe you're sensing this as well. And if you are, please share that. That we sense that God is doing something below the surface and He's getting ready. This message this morning. This message this morning is a reminder for those of us who are here that this is what we need to be committed to. One of our values as a church is that we live in community. And it's not just flowery language to say, hey, let's just all get along. It is mission critical that we live in unity, in community, as one people. So that when people walk through those doors for the very first time, they go, oh, this is good. And I'm not talking about the preaching or the worship. See, because Jesus never says, listen, if you have great worship and great preaching, people will know that you're my disciples. Right? Now, do we want great worship, great preaching, good coffee? Absolutely. Right? But all the good preaching and all the good worship in the world will never mask the stench of disunity. So God is moving, church. He is moving. And I look forward to you, with you, to what God's going to do. So if you're wondering, what's my part in all of this? Let's have a conversation. There's a brand new Starbucks down on Foothill Boulevard. I'd love to sit and have a cup of coffee with you. And let's talk about what your part is. If you're wondering at all about that, you need to go home. You need to, to, to get with the Lord and say, okay, God, what's my part? Where do I need to engage with this message today? Go to Thrive Group this week. If you've never been before, if you've been resistant, get over it. Go and be with a group of people and talk about this in a group of people where you can say, okay, how does this apply? How does the rubber meet the road when it comes to these things? Let's stand together and invite the worship team to come. Our prayer team will be available after service. If you want to pray with someone for anything, if there's any need, anything in your life at all that you want to pray with someone about, our prayer team will be available in the back. They'd love to pray with you. Let's be the church that Jesus has called us to be. Father God, this morning, I'm thankful for your word. That doesn't always sit easy. Sometimes, Lord, it's a little hard to swallow because, well, Lord, it's... It hits home. It touches on the sensitive places in our lives, the broken places. But God, I thank you that you are so absolutely committed to our wholeness and our healing and our unity. That you want to do a work in us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be the church. 
that we would be the church, that we would join together with our brothers and sisters around the world and stand for you, to stand for what is true, to stand for what is right, to stand for unity, to fight for the unity of the spirit, to fight for the unity of the body, and to fight for the unity of our mission. That everyone would hear the good news. Let it begin with us. We give you praise and glory. Let's worship together as we close, church.